Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Well, what I'd like to do this morning as briefly as I can, and preachers are not supposed to lie, so... um, I've got two points this morning I want to make. Hopefully they will be short for, for dinner's sake. But I, I don't want to just go through the motions with Mother's Day. Uh, sometimes I preach about moms on Mother's Day and sometimes I don't. But I felt led of the Lord as I was uh, praying this past week and preparing for today. Uh, just some, some moms came to mind and uh, I won't use names, but some moms came to mind today. And I just want this message, and you're here today. Several of you are here today. And I just want this message to minister to you. I want to preach a message today on a mom by the name of Rispa. Rispa. Most of y'all may never have heard that name or that mom's name before. It's it's uh, she's in the Bible there. She's in 2 Samuel. And uh, it's 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 an interesting story about Rispa. A lot of times on Mother's Day you'll hear a message about Mary or or uh uh Elizabeth or um oh goodness, what is um uh, Anyways, I just my mind just went blank. Uh, Hannah, the Hannah was the other one I was thinking of that you hear a lot sometimes on Leah. I think I preached on Leah last year at some point. Uh, but you you very seldom, if ever, hear a message on Rispa. And to understand who she is, we've got to do a little background on her. But before I do that, I want to tell you what her names mean because you know in the Old Testament names had meaning. And uh, I like that idea. But in in the Hebrew, Rispa means a flat stone. A flat stone. That seems like an interesting name. I mean, why would her mom and dad give her that name? But as we see, often we become our names in some way. And she did become a flat rock. So in other words, Rispa was an unmovable rock. A flat, unmovable rock. And here's her story. We're going to begin in verse 1. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it's on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. So during during the days of King David's rule, there was a severe famine that lasted for three years. Now, a one-year famine is one thing. A two-year famine is another. But you know, as the famine continues on, you have less seed each year to plant, which means less food for yourself, less food for the livestock, and literally people start starving. I mean, we can kind of relate to that. In this offering that we just took up, there's places in this world where children are starving at no, no reason of their own. And so that's what's happening here. And David inquires of the Lord in order to ascertain the cause. It's, it's interesting, this is not my message, but this is an interesting point at, that the Holy Spirit is leading me just for a brief moment to talk about. When crisis happens in our lives and, 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 and we pray for things to be removed from our lives, if they don't go away, and, and I'm not saying it's always about sin, but you need to inquire of the Lord, Lord, what is it that may be causing this? Is there something I can do about the situation in my life. I can tell you when things happen in my life, that's the first place I go. I say, Lord, if I'm causing this, reveal it to me so that I can correct it. Otherwise, Lord, 
help me through this trial. And that's what David is doing. It's three years. He's the king. It's like, what are we going to do, king? He says, I'm going to go to the Lord. And he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord answers David's prayer. And he was told that Saul and his house were guilty of a massacre. He had inflicted upon the Gibeonites. So this is not the message today, but we need to be. Maybe this will be a Father's Day message. Maybe, maybe not. But the point of it is, is David and the Israelites are paying for Saul's sin. Paying for Saul's sin. Now, who are the Gibeonites? Well, the Gibeonites were part of the original inhabitants of Canaan before Israel crossed the Jordan River under Joshua's command. Remember, Joshua took the Israelites across and, and they started conquering cities. And of course, they had the defeated Ai came back. And, and these Gibeonites had heard about how powerful Israel was. So they deceived Joshua. This is that part where they, there's those people they sent their, their, their leaders to Israel, to Joshua, and it made, they made it look like they traveled a long ways. They, they wanted to make it look like they'd come from a faraway land. And what they did was they came to Joshua and the leadership and said, look, we come from a faraway land, but we hear about how mighty you are, and we want to be in accord with you. We want to have a covenant with you that we won't fight against you if you don't fight against us. And Joshua agreed to that, unknowing that they literally lived just down the road from where Israel was at at the point. They deceived Joshua, but Joshua nonetheless made a covenant that what would happen was is the Gibeonites could live in Canaan, but they could not carry arms. They couldn't fight, and they had to serve the Israelites. So I'm giving you a little bit of a history background of why this is so important. There's a lot of different messages I could preach in this, but we're going to focus on, on Rispa and, and her motherhood, okay? And so according to 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 2, Saul because of his zeal for the honor of Israel and Judah, showing their might, being zealous. Sometimes when we're zealous, we go far beyond. And this is what happened. He tried to destroy the Gibeonites. They were kind of like a wart. They were kind of like an eyesore. They were just a, 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 a people that, for whatever reason, were, were under Saul's skin. So he persecuted them, and he planned to exterminate all of the Gibeonites. What Saul did was he broke the covenant that Joshua had made with this people group, people, this people group. So David does what any good king would do. He tries to rectify the problem. Okay, God, you've let me know what is wrong. I'm not sure what to do about it, but let me inquire of the people who've been wrong. Verse 3, David asked the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? We want God's blessings. We're not because of what we have done to you. And the Gibeonites answered him, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family. They understood their rights here. Nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. They had no rights. They were servants to Israel. And so they refused to take Saul's money. They refused to take life. Or at least without permission, they wouldn't take life. Verse 5. So they answered the king, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. So David, to save Israel, agreed to their request. Now, if you read on, as he makes a selection, there's one person he refuses to give to them, and that's Melchizedek, which is the son of Jonathan. 
And the reason for that is because David and Jonathan were best friends and they had made a covenant. I mean, this would be a great message on keeping your word, being a promise keeper. And so it says, I am not going to take Jonathan's son. So what he does is he goes to one of Saul's concubines by the name of Rispa, and he selects his Armoni and Meshibaseth, the same name, if I could get that out. Lord, loose these tongues, please. Uh, uh, which is... Rizba's son, and then of course he takes five sons of Meribab, which is Saul's daughter. So he takes these seven men, two of which are Rizba's sons. And they took them, as Gibeonites did, and they killed them and hung them on the mountain before the Lord. The seven were killed at the beginning of the barley harvest, as it says at the end of verse 9. That's important to understand when it took place. Okay, It is there at the foot of the hill we learn about the type of mother that Rispa was. Read with me verse 10. Rispa, daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. Sackcloth is a material of mourning. A lot of times they would drape themselves in it. In this case, she laid it out on the rock. She's in mourning. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. So in her mourning and out of love for her sons, Rispa kept a watch over the bodies of her sons. She, during the day, I meant to bring a big stick and a rock, but I failed to. But she would take a stick or a rock and she would eat the birds of prey, the, the scavenger birds off those bodies. And at night, she would scare away the jackals, the wild dogs, whatever critter may come that would like to forage on the bodies of these seven men. And she did it from the time of the barley harvest until the rain came. Most scholars believe, and according to he, uh, how the Hebrew is written, the language, she literally stayed there approximately six months between the barley harvest, March, until October when the rains came. Even if it wasn't that long, she stayed there long enough to where she beat the birds and the, and, and the wild dogs off. That's going to make more sense in just a minute. The reason the bodies were left on this hill was because they were what? They were making atonement for the sins of Saul's house, for him and his sons that had killed the Gibeonites. And they had to remain there until the end of the drought. In other words, they, they had to leave them hanging up there until the rains came, because when the rains would come, they would then know, the people of Israel would know, all right, the price has been paid for the sins of Saul and his sons. So Rispa. The unmovable rock, the flat unmovable rock, laid sackcloth on an unmovable stone. She literally laid it on the stone and she would stay there. And I want you to get that picture. Her name means flat, unmovable stone. And she's placed a cloth and she remains on an unmovable rock. She is an unmovable stone, mom. And she stays upon that unmovable rock. There's a message right there that we're going to look at. What a love story. Nothing comes closer to God's love than the love that a mom has for her children. Sorry, dads. It really is true. When you consider that a, a mom, is the, the, the conception takes place in, a, in, in the mother's body, and for nine months, some of y'all a little less, some of y'all a little more, that little seed that begins to multiply, that begins to grow, that little person in you, you become literally physically attached and emotionally attached. They, under, they know your voice before they know any other voice. Matter of fact, when my boys, when Sherry was pregnant with my boys, both times I would lay my head on my wife's belly and I would sing and I'd talk to them because I wanted them to know my voice too. 
Right? Now I wish they didn't know me. But anyways, that's a story for another time. No, that, that, there's something about giving life. God is the giver of life. He loves us. He loved us so much that He gave His Son. He actually gave His Son to die for us. That is the same love that a mother has for her children. You love your children in a way that we men could never comprehend. I got one mama saying amen. I mean, in certain species, the dad eats the young. Come on. We understand why. But what a, what a loving image of a loving mom. So there's two things I want to point out that I think that today would be appropriate for all moms today. Whether you have children that are still living at home, that are in school, or you have adult children that have moved out of your house. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that Rizba had a dedication to her boys. She had a dedication to her boys that led to her having hope. Understand, her boys are, and I don't mean to be crude, they're dead. They're gone. But yet there's a dedication. Like I said, there's, there's meaning to this. There's dedication to keep those ravishing animals off her boys because why? She wanted them to die with honor. She wanted them to be buried with honor. There is a message in there in itself that's what she wanted to do. So often when you think of moms, you think of ladies who have small children. I mean, that's, that's even in there. It's kind of the imagery of that video. For some reason, we get the idea that moms stop being moms when the kids get to be 18 and or move out. Moms, is that true? Absolutely not. If they do move out, if you're blessed enough to have moved out, they come back with more mouths to feed. Come on, somebody. It just happens that way. But it's true. It, that's the way it is. It, it, of, uh, of course, not. Uh, it's the way it is whether we like it or not. That's just the way it is. All right. If anything, the task of being a mom gets even harder when our kids move out, doesn't it? I know I'm not a mom, but from a fathering standpoint, it is. Why? Because when my boys are at home, I know what they're doing. I know where they're at. I know at 10 o'clock they're in my house. Or last night at midnight doing laundry in my house. I, I, you know that. But when they move out, it, and it's not really a control issue. Some of it is a control issue. But the reality is, it's more of a concern issue. Where are they at? Even though my boys are good boys, there's nothing good happens at 10 after 10 o'clock at night. I'm just being honest with you. There's not. And when they're living at home, that was my concern. Now, I don't know where they're at, what's going on, and there's that concern. And I know that's the way it is for all moms when they move out. And then you entrust them their, their, their heart to somebody that may break. I mean, when they start dating, I mean, I don't have daughters. Thank God I don't have daughters. They'd never date. But, but my boys, even then, I'm worried about their heart bring hope being broken. And, and when they move out, you don't know what's going on in their lives, and it makes it even harder. And let's face it, it doesn't get emo any easier emotionally when they move out. It's just tough not knowing what they're doing and where they're at. In Rispa's case, these were uh, not children, but were grown men who had helped their father kill some innocent people for no other reason than the fact that they could. The fact that they could. They had done wrong. There's no, there's no right in what they had done. But she was dedicated to them and she would not allow them to be dishonored in their burial. That's what this is all about. It's about what would happen to her boys' bodies. Like Christmas children, your children will surely do wrong if they haven't already. Matter of fact, when they get to be about two, they start doing wrong. We still have a spatula with Trevor's name on it in the drawer just in case he does wrong at, at almost 22 years old now. My baby is 22. It's hard to believe that. See, And it's not that she condoned what they have done wrong any more than you condone 
what your kids have done wrong. You know, what I hear sometimes is Christians say very harshly, if my daughter or my son does this or does that, it's over. I disown them. And that's such a shame when you hear parents say that they're going to disown their kids or their kids are no longer welcome. That's such a tragedy. I'm sure Rispa wondered how things had come to this. How did my boys become murderers? And then how did they become sacrifices for what they had? There's no guarantee that all these five, these two, both these boys were with their dad when it happened either. But the point is, she's wondering, how did I get there? How did they get there? One day you may be asking the same about your children if you haven't already. Let me encourage you to face it just like Rispa did. She got through it all with loving devotion. But if I was to be more specific, it was that she got through the ordeal through a love that was expressed in devotion. Her love for her boys were expressed in her devotion to them even though they were no longer living. She was expressing her devotion to them as she beat the birds and she beat the jackals away. She, she expressed her love and devotion to them by not leaving that spot until something was done. We're getting to what was done. She wouldn't, she wouldn't settle for anything that was, was right. Now don't think that she was a weak woman, a weepy-eyed, weak-kneed. Uh, this is a woman whose devotion manifested itself in, in a steely-eyed determination. She was, she was a strong woman. Remember, her name means she was a rock. I'm sure that it was, not, uh, it was hot during several of those days as she was beating off those birds. At night, it very well could have been cool as she was beating off those, those jackals, those wild dogs. I'm sure there were lonely nights on that rock. Who wants to go out and hang out? She was a concubine. She was, she was property, in other words, to Saul. Seen as a wife, but not in the rights of a wife. She was a tool. She was an object to be owned. And I'm sure there were some lonely nights uh, out there on there. No doubt people came by and suggested, why don't you just give this up, Rispa? Why, are you, why do you keep believing something's going to be done? Don't you know that this is hopeless? Don't you know it's done? There's nothing else you could do. Why don't you go back home where it's comfortable? Where it's cool, where it's warm, where you have food, where you have a bed to lie on. Why? Why do you keep staying out here and beating these birds and these dogs away? How'd she get through it? What kept her on that rock? Sheer love that was birthed in devotion that was characterized by a determination that was second to none. She wasn't deterred by hunger. I'm sure she had food. She wasn't deterred by exhaustion. I'm sure she was tired. It was by the, she wasn't deterred by the stench of the, de the de decomposing bodies. I mean, let's, let's really, or the sight of seeing her son dissolving. I mean, I know this is crude, but I want you, you have to get the pictures, mom, of, of what this woman is doing. She wasn't deterred by her own grief or hopelessness of her situation. Uh, she wasn't deterred by the reaction of others who passed by, but her tribulation worked patience and her patience hope. She never gave up. Day and night, she stayed on that, that unmovable rock as an unmovable rock. Rock. She loved, and because she loved, she was devoted, and because she was devoted, she persevered. Because she persevered, it gave birth to hope in her heart that something proper, something right would be done for her son. How do you get through it? How do I get through it? Through hope. See, when you lose hope, you lose everything. We cannot give up hope on our children. Regardless of what these two sons had done or however they had died, they were still her sons. 
she still gave birth to him. And regardless of what your child has done, he or she is still your child. Do not give up hope. Keep standing on the rock that's unmovable. Whatever these two boys had done, verse 10 tells us that she remained near the bodies, unmovable, protecting them from the scavengers from the, bar, from the barley harvest in late April, early March, until the early rains in October. Why? Because she had hope that something would be done. Second point is this. I want you to uh, understand something, moms. This mother, just like you, sometimes you're going to have to beat the buzzards off your children. There are times that you're going to have to beat the wild animals off your children or away from your children. What is not in the mom's manual that, that they hand out to you when you leave the hospital with your newborn baby is the fact that you are your child's intercessor for your whole life. I'm looking out here this morning and I see some intercessors. I've seen some, I see some moms that haven't given up on their children and have interceded for their children. Why is Jesus our intercessor? The Bible tells us that Jesus is our intercessor before the Father in heaven. You ever thought about that? Why is He? Of course, we know He died on the cross for us. He's the one who can. But the reality is it's because of His love for us. I don't want somebody up there interceding for me who doesn't love me. And I've kind of already made this point. That's why you, Mom, are your child's intercessor. There's no one's love like yours compared to God's. And you're going to be the one who's motivated to intercede for your children. You are literally, their hands are in your lives from the moment they're born until the moment you die or they die. And let me say this this morning. I meant to start off this way when we honored moms. I know today for some of you isn't a happy day because maybe your mom is no longer with you. And I get that. My mom is physically still with me, but mentally she's not with me anymore. She doesn't know who I am anymore because of the disease that she has. Uh, I'm thankful I still have her physically, but I understand the pain of that. But some of you, your mom may not even be here anymore alive in this world. And for some of you, this, this message may hit home a little harder because you're a mom and your child's no longer with you. I'm trying to be sensitive to that today. But several ladies I'm thinking of that have faced that, this, you, this is about you today because you have completed what I am preaching about today. So I'm not here to bring you down. I'm here to encourage you today and let you know you're on the right path. Just like Rispa mom, you are going to have to get a big stick and beat some vultures and some buzzards off your children. Some of these vultures are found in college classrooms today. I believe in a higher education. I have a higher education. There's no doubt that that has helped mold and make me into who I am. I'm a critical thinker. I've taken the secular courses. I, I, I get it. I'm just tired of seeing our kids that we've invested in, that you've invested in the church and in a godly home, go off to these secular universities. And I'm not saying don't send them. I'm just tired of going off and becoming statistics in our college systems. I'm tired of that. I'm not going to lie to you. Kids that have grown up, baptized in the Holy Spirit, called into ministry, and today they might at best be serving God. You have to understand, not that you don't send them off, but you better make sure they're ready for what they're going to face in the secular world because they're going to tell them that God does not exist. 
We have to be careful about where we send our kids. Others are found behind high school desks. It's not just in the secular colleges anymore, but it's beginning in high school, even middle school today. Now it's trickling down to elementary school. You have to be aware. You are very much involved with your child's education. If you don't want them to learn, I guarantee you we have educators in here. I guarantee you they're going to tell you you're more, you should be more involved with your education than they are as teachers. You have to invest in your kids and know what they're learning, what's being exposed to them, so that you can protect them from an early age, what they're being shown, what they're being introduced to, what they're being taught to. This is not a political message, but thank God, I, don't, I hope it's not overreach, but thank God that we are now looking at what's being taught, what's being read in our elementary classroom or at least what's being made available to them for them to read on their own. This isn't a political message. But we have to understand that they're in our elementary schools. Some even stand behind the pulpits. You better be careful what, even when it comes to the reading and the preaching of the Word of God, who is teaching your kids? Who is investing in your kids? Be mindful of what they're listening to. They can lodge in the branches of extended family waiting to destroy your child. Be careful that aunt and uncle or that grandparent that you send your child off to. If they're not saved, if you're not going into a godly environment, you better hold the reins on that. You better make sure you know what they're going to be introduced to. So many kids have been hurt emotionally, sexually, physically by going into harm exposed to things, even if it wasn't physical, through internet, through movies, through whatever is put before them. They hover in the trees in our high schools to destroy our teens. They wait on the other end of Facebook and TikTok or the internet waiting to peck away at your son or your daughter, destroying who they are. They've been created in God's image and the whole purpose of the world is to destroy. The spirit of Antichrist is real. Destroy your child. Intercession. It's twofold. It begins on your knees in the spirit realm, mom. You better be praying for your children. You have to pray over your children. Until you take your last breath, you need to be interceding for your children. No one's going to do it with the passion that a mom will do it. I'm going to tell you. I pray for my kids. I'm telling you right now, my wife prays more passionately for my boys than I do. I can remember when I was living with, with the, uh, the Cobbs right up here on, on Cobb Mountain, as I like to call it. I can remember I lived with him for about two months while I was trying to find a place to live. And I would hear Grandma Cobb in the mornings and at night on her knees in the living room calling out the names of her children, her grandchildren, and her great-grandchildren. She was interceding for her, her family. That's the kind of thing you have to do, moms. You have to intercede for your children. Take an oil, anointing oil, pour it over their bed. Pour it over their doorpost. Cover their car with it. Whatever you have to do, put it on their shoes so wherever they go, the anointing of God goes with them. You have to pray. What? That they make wise decisions. My goodness, even at middle school now, these kids are having to make decisions. They're facing things that I didn't face until I got married. They're being exposed to things that I didn't even know anything about until I was already married in my early 20s. You, you better know, pray that they make wise decisions. Pray that they choose good people to hang out with godly friends. Pray for their future spouse. I can tell you right now, I've prayed for both of my boys' spouses and, and I'm still praying for Trevor's. I am hope she's been born. I hope she's here. I'm telling you, with the way Alex is going, I ain't going to be a granddad anytime soon, right? But I can tell you for Alex, without going into personal details, we that mama prayed someone out in his life. 
And like I said, she prayed somebody out of his life, and we prayed the godly woman that would support him and encourage him and, and, and help him become the young godly man that God had planned. You have to pray for your children's spouse, whoever they may be one day. There's times you're going to have to pray some people out of your child's life. You are. You say, I'm praying, but not seeing any results. Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on singing. I promise God hears your prayers. Over Revelation 5, 8, it, it describes a scene where the prayers are being held in these bowls in the throne room of God. What does that mean? That means every one of your prayers are ascending to heaven. And God is gathering them. And He's filling a bowl. And He's filling a bowl with your prayers. All your prayers that you're praying for your family, for your future, for your children, they're all going, especially for your kids. And every time you pray, He holds it. And one day that bowl is going to overflow. And those things that you've been praying for are going to trickle down out of heaven. And his will in heaven will be done on earth in your child's life. But you got to pray them. You got to pray them, mama. You got to be a praying mama. And don't wait till they get older. Start it when they're young. Start it when they're young. Pray. Lay hands on them. Lay hands on them. Keep praying. Then intercession goes to the physical realm. It goes from the spiritual realm where you're praying and God is gathering all your prayers to the physical realm. You're going to have to get involved and hold your child, your children accountable. It isn't no holes, no holes barred. It's no Katie barred the door. You have to be involved and hold your children accountable. There may be some things they need, they need to be said no to. I know that's tough today, parents. It's tough. You train them early. We need to tell them, no. Listen, I don't know this. I just hear this through the grapevine that the grandparents' job is to spoil the grandkids. I don't know. I've got a grand pug. He gets what he wants when he comes to my house. All right. He sleeps with his pug paw. I give him treats. I take him a walk. And now I've got my own pug and he's like another grand. He's like a grandchild to me. I spent more money on him than I have my wife the last couple of months. But here's the thing. If you give your child everything they want, you're raising them to become consumers or users, and they will use you up. They'll use you up. There's some things we need to make our children do. There's some things you need to make your children do young. You need to teach them learn to respect authority. You need to teach your children, and it begins with them respecting you. And if they don't respect you, don't spare the rod. I know with pastor, I don't believe in corporal punishment. That's fine, but you better find something that you can take away from them that's going to get the message across. I'm not trying to compare. My two boys are opposite. Alex may have needed it, but never got a spanking a day in his life because I could take something away from him, and it just broke his heart. Trevor... I about beat him to death before he got three, three years old. Like I said, I have a spatula because why? Taking things away didn't work for him. But you spanked him with that little spatula. I didn't hit him hard. You can see. Maybe I maybe, maybe that's why he's short. Maybe we just no. But he has he 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 understands respect. See, we need to teach him to respect. And they learn that from you and by watching you. They need to learn obedience. There are rights and wrongs in this world. And there's consequences to what 
we do. They need to be taught right from wrong. Teach them to appreciate and take care of what they have. This is a biblical principle. It's called stewardship. Teach them that. Listen, you shouldn't have to be buying your kids socks every six weeks because they can't keep up with their socks. Let them wear mismatched socks to school if you have to. All right, I know I've got to pick it up. I need to. Get, I got to get to the point. Okay, you got. Okay, they need to understand, as some of the parents need to understand, the world does not revolve around them. And when you make it all about them, and I get it, when they're little, they're cute, they're cuddly, they're like puppies and kittens. Oh, and I know you've got to take care of them, but you have to teach them early in life. There are responsibilities. There are things they have to do. There are things they have to learn. And the world just doesn't revolve around them. As parents, there are some, some things you need to do with your children. And you know what I'm about to say. You need to pray. You need to read the Bible to them. And you know what? You need to go to church with them. Even when they can drive. Well, that's too expensive. It's amazing to me that parents will bring, sometimes drag their kids to church, but once they get that driver's license, no more. You go without me. And what you're teaching them is that church and being part of something bigger than yourself, being part of the body of Christ, is not important. I'm going to say this. Eat meals together at home. What happened to that? My wife and I joked the other day, we have not had a meal at our table as a family in months. We're going to try to get back to doing that. By the way, we've got to get back to doing that. There you go. Uh, Model, model what it means to be a follower of Christ. Our kids grew up to be us just like you grew up to be like your mom and dad. Yeah, good, bad, or indifferent. There are some people you're going to have to kick out of your child's life. Until they turn 18 or as long as they're living under your roof, you do have a say-so. You know why my son still has my car? Because I hold it over his head. He'll get the car. It's going to be his one day. But say, hey son, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you know what? He didn't show up for Sunday school today. Guess who got called into the pastor's office this morning? He lives in my house. He knows Sunday school is not an option. I know. I need, I need, I need, a, plan, I need a land this. I know. That wasn't in my notes. But you're going to have to kick some people out of your kid's life. Be careful who they become friends with at an early age. And all these, it's better to start early rather than late. Proverbs 22.6, you know this. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, he or she will not depart from it. I like the way the message says it. Point your kids in the right direction. And when they're old, they won't be lost. You have to point. You have to train. You have to lead by example. But pastor, my son is 35 years old. Yes, but you remind him, mama, that if he wants to live a long life, you better honor you and obey you because that's the first commandment with promise. You, you say, I need to preach it to you. You just need to remind him or her. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd rather make my son or daughter uncomfortable telling them the truth than for them to get the idea that I'm okay with what they're doing and how they're living their lives. We're so afraid of pushing our kids away that we're okay with them falling away. We're so worried about, well, if I tell them they're going to go do it anyways, tell them. If they're going to do it anyways, at least give them the truth. See? I mean, you can hate the sin and love the sinner, and if you love your child enough, don't you want them to know the truth? 
I mean, how much heartache could you have spared your child or your parents spared you if they had just been honest with you sometime in your life about decisions that you were making? Tell the kids the truth. Sue Hart, that boy's not a Christian. You have no business dating him. Why would you allow your children, your daughter or your son, to date a girl or a boy? Girl dating a boy, boy dating a girl. If that person is not saved. There's no missionary dating. It doesn't work. I tried it. I used to go to the beach as, a, as, a, as an adult, as a, in high school, to the beach. It doesn't work, trust me. That was a joke, folks. That was a joke. Missionary dating at the beach. It doesn't work. Babe, those clothes are not what a Christian young lady would wear. You need to go change clothes. Let's get something a little bit more modest. Son, those types of movies, those types of video games, you should not be watching or playing. You wonder why there's so many mass shootings today of these young people? They're desensitized to violence. Well, my son or daughter wouldn't do that. Ask every one of those parents, everyone to a point, say, I had no idea. Well, we knew something was going on, but we had no idea that he would do something like this. Anyways, young man, I know what the world says, but the Bible teaches that sex outside of marriage, including physical contact that's inappropriate, is not biblical and it's wrong. Your, your boys and your, your sons and daughters need to be trained this way in middle school. Because it's happening in middle school. On the buses. At P.E. During lunch. Okay. I'm, I know you're ready to go eat lunch. You do not have to affirm them in everything they're doing. Your kids want affirmation. You need to be honest and tell them what they're doing is wrong. And you don't have to nag. I know as they get older, your, your, your realm of influence... How many of y'all found that that's got older kids in high school and adults? As they get older, your realm of influence, the amount of impact of influence decreases big time. It does. And one day, you will become their advisor. That means that when they have a question or concern or problem, they'll come back to you and say, Dad, watch my boys do that. What should I do here? That's because I trained them young. They knew they could trust me. I could keep things in confidence. I didn't hold things against them. I didn't belittle them. I encouraged them, but I brought them and I told them the truth and brought them up in a godly environment. They're not perfect. My boys are far from perfect. They have a little bit of their mama in them. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. So let's 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 finish this. Rispa stayed on the rock day and night and drew the attention of who? The king. Verse 11. When David was told what Aya's daughter Rispa, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizen Jabesh Gilead. They had stolen their bodies from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down at Gilboa. So when Saul and Jonathan died, the Philistines took and hung their bodies up and said, hey, look what we've done. And these people went and stole their bodies. And they had their bodies. And there's a bigger picture to this. 13, David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. Talk about those seven boys in, in, in this particular, Rispa's two sons. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zelah and Benjamin and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of Israel. Rispa. 
stayed on that rock until the king did something about her children. Her love, her dedication, and intercession changed the heart of King David. King David took notice. He heard and took notice to the point he had the bodies removed and buried appropriately according to their customs and their laws. And that's what she wanted. She didn't want her boys to stay out there and, and, and their bodies not being taken care of. So she interceded. They were honored. Their honor was now restored. And this is for someone here this morning. You feel like you have lost the battle over your child's life. You have a child who's an adult who's gone their way, his or her way. But I'm here to tell you not to give up and do not lose hope. Make an altar of intercession for your child upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Keep going to that rock. Keep standing firm on that rock. Keep interceding on that rock. Intercede by knocking the birds away. Kicking the dogs away. Stay the course until the king does something about what you are requesting for your children. You have to ask yourself, is it God's will that any should perish? No. So you pray for their salvation and you pray God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Learn how to pray. Pray according to the Word. But stand on the rock. Kneel on the rock. Keep praying. You don't know when the king is going to take notice. Keep praying. You don't know when that bowl of prayer for your son or your daughter is going to be filled. Keep praying. You don't know when the rain is going to come. You don't know when that son or daughter is going to return home. When they're going to give their life to Jesus. Don't give up your prayers. Your prayers will one day produce a harvest in their lives. I'm reminded of a mom by the name of Georgia. She was a godly woman. and She had a son that was anything but godly. She approached me one day. She says, I've been praying for my son and I feel like it's time. Will you please go down and talk to my son about Jesus? And I said, well, Miss Georgia, I don't know where he's at. I know right where he's at. I know right now where he's at. He's on his boat fixing some equipment because he's getting ready to go back out fishing for grouper. I said, okay. Now, I'd, I'd met this young man, and uh, he, he was a pretty burly guy. He's a big guy, and he was a, a firm guy. I mean, just his personality. And I wasn't about to go by myself, so I got another pastor to go with me. And I step out on that boat, him unexpecting me. He wasn't expecting me. Him there with a big knife, and I looked at him and I said, your mama has sent me to talk to you about Jesus. We didn't have a long conversation, but that next Sunday he was in church and he gave his heart to Jesus. That was his mama's prayers. That was God's will. She didn't give up. He was not a teenager. He was well in his 30s. And he had a past, and God came along and touched his life and saved him. And erased his past. And today he's still living for the Lord. His wife is living for the Lord. His granddaughter is living for the Lord. It's amazing what God will do when a mama prays and never gives up on her children, nor gives up on God. So today you may be at your darkest hour, but the king is still on his throne. Amen? I said the king is still on his throne. You're hurting? Stay on the rock. You're discouraged? Stay on the rock. You're confused? Stay on the rock. You're suffering? Stay on the rock. You're brokenhearted? Stay on the rock. You're scared? Stay on the rock. Don't get off the rock. Stand on it because the rock will not be moved. A house that's built upon the rock, when the storms come, when the winds come, when the water beats against it, it will not fall because the rock is unmovable. Be that rock that stays on the rock for your child or children. As tragic as this story is, there's many, many messages in it. One is your sins will find you out. Your sins will... 
Your sins of the Father will hurt the family. It's another message. We must be promise keepers and not promise breakers. And you know what also this tells it? It doesn't matter what family you're born into. There's a cost of sin. But for this occasion, it's a reminder of how important the role moms play in their children's life, even if they're adults. How important your love for your children really is. Your love, your dedication, your intercession cannot be replaced by anything or anybody. And maybe that's where you're at this morning as a mom, but maybe that's where you're at today as a child. The reality is you may be here this morning and you're a prodigal, which means that you're running from God. And you're here today to honor your mom and you said, oh, I really wasn't expecting this, but just that's okay between you and the Lord. But maybe you're here today and you're here today because it's actually an answer to your mother's prayer. And you're here today to honor her and there's no greater honor, no greater gift you can give your mom than giving your life to Jesus. That a lot of prayers prayed for you. A lot of intercession. God loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. All that matters is what you do right now. What you do today will not only erase what's happened in the past from God's perspective, but also set you up for a grand future and eternity in heaven. So where are you at today? I'd like to ask everybody to bow your heads. I'm about to let you go, moms, and get your picture out front with your kids and have a good time. I want every head bowed and eye closed. Please close. Everybody close your eyes. Because this is, this is one of those ways I like to do an altar call. I don't want to ask you down to the front this morning. I'll be honest with you, I find that that very seldom actually produces any results. But what I would like to do this morning, if you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Lord nor your Savior, and you feel the tug, you, you're, you are one of Ruth's sons and spiritually you're dead. Today, you would like to give your heart to Jesus so that your life will bring honor to Him and your mom. If that's you, I want you to look at me and just keep your eyes open at me so I can see I'm looking throughout the congregation. Anybody at all. I'm not going to ask you up front. I'm not going to call your name out. I'm not going to chase you down. But you may be one of these boys. and Your life is a mess. It's a wreck. Today, Jesus can change that. Anybody at all? I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold on quickly. Okay. All right. If everybody would look at me. Thank you for being following directions. I almost said obedient, but you guys don't like that word. All right, mom. Now let me speak to your heart. I see some moms out here with young kids. Take this message. Eat the meat and spit out the bones. I'm not telling you how to parent. I'm just telling you, be a parent and not a friend. Be a parent, not a friend. Your child's future and your heartache is at stake. You may be here this morning and you're a parent of an adult child who's, who's away from God. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. If you would, if you, if you feel like you can, if you're here today and you have an adult child who is unsaved, would you stand, please? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, this message, more than anybody, is for you. 
can't imagine because both my boys serve God, so I can't imagine the feeling. But to know that you have a child that you gave birth to, that you love, and you made great sacrifices for. It's not serving God. It, it breaks the heart. I think about my brother. He had every opportunity I had to serve God, and he ran. My mom prayed. My dad prayed. And it wasn't until he's late in his 50s that he gave his heart to Jesus. Filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Got to remember what that did for my mom. She wasn't very vocal about her spirituality. I know she was saved. Still is. But I know she loved, she loved us. Oh God, she loves us. And that day changed her life. In some ways it brought her peace because within a year my brother died and didn't know he had cancer. My heart goes out to you, Mom. You're not a failure. Because you've done things differently at times. I'm sure we all can. But I don't want you to give up your rispa. May the spirit of rispa rest on you. Intercede. Be encouraging. Encourage. Yes, there's times you've got to speak truth and love. But encourage them. Your example is paying off. I promise you, one day your cup of prayer for your child is going to overflow. And they're going to turn to the Lord. God, you see the hearts of these moms. They're broken. God, they're broken today, Lord, because the reality is if things don't change in their child slash children's lives, Father, and they receive You as their Lord and Savior, there will become a day, a judgment day, Lord, where they will be sent into eternity separated from You and their moms. God, I can't imagine. So Lord, I pray, God, for these moms that every day, I know every day their children, every one of them, saved or not, Lord, their, their names, their faces are on their minds and they probably speak their names several times. But Lord, I pray, God, that you help these moms. Lord, to intercede, to continue to pray, to beat the spiritual vultures off of their children. To kick the wild dogs away from them, God. Until, Father, that prayer cup is overflowing, Lord. And, Father, what they've been praying for becomes reality. God, help them not become weary of well-doing. God, help them not to become embittered. God, help them not to give up, Lord. It's hard. It's cold. It's hot, Lord. It's, there's, there's desperation, God. Sometimes they feel like, Lord, there's, there, this is never going to happen. But, Lord, may them they, may they never give up their hope and their intercession for their children because, Lord, their child's life depends upon it. Bless them, Father. I'm believing in hearing testimony, God, of these children coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And, Lord, for all of our moms, our moms that have children that are young, help them to persevere, help them to make the right choices for their children, God, to protect them, Lord, to monitor them, Lord, to be, Lord, their safe keepers, God, and be careful, Lord, what they love. Now, as we leave this place and we celebrate moms, God, for those who no longer have their mom, may it be a day of fond memories. Lord, for those who are moms, God, but who have lost their children, can't imagine that. Lord, I don't want to. But somehow, some way today, let this be a day, God, Lord, as they remember their child, the one that, Lord, you gave life to through them. God, may it somehow, some way, there be joy found. Lord, in that child, in that relationship, in those memories, God. And be with us today, Lord, as we leave this place. 
Thank you, God. I bless all of our moms. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.